welcome to Forever Canon, the podcast where we talk about Jason Solo, the greatest Jedi to ever Jedi, and sometimes other things too. I'm Justin. I'm Tim. Kevin is away on special Rebel Assignment. This week, we're going to cover chapters 17 through 20 of Bloodlines, book two of Legacy of the Force. But first, bum bum bum, previously on Forever Canon. Rogue Squadron is put on alert. The Mandos don't want center point. Jason gets the first kill in the war. Jason also kills Boba Fett's daughter. And Han and Fett plan to kill the president. But that was last week on Forever Canon. This week, we're going to start with chapter 17. And wouldn't you know, just like every other chapter... We've got one of these intro, insert, excerpt, little bit, blurbity, blah, blah, blurs. And this one is another good one. Jedi are seldom public figures and rarely risk controversy. But Jason Solo's extraordinary record in recent weeks, leading the war on terrorism, even flying combat missions in the Karelian blockade, marks him out as a man less concerned with the esoteric spiritual preoccupations of the Jedi Order than with doing his bit for the Galactic Alliance. He's the perfect counter to those critics who demand to know what taxpayers get for their credits from the Jedi Order. But ironically, he still has almost no status within the Order itself. He doesn't even hold the rank of Master. HNE's weekend focus political commentary. The HNE News is talking about how great Jason is compared to all the other Jedi. That's the first thing I pull out of this. The second thing I pull out of this is he's doing stuff, yeah. but he's not a master. He's showing his face. This, But he's not a master. He's not a master. This has got to be Lumaya's influence, yeah. right? And what a, what, cool what a cool way What a cool way from a writing perspective to portray that influence. It's not a direct part of the narrative, but you get it in this little blurb, in these intros to the chapters, and it's got to be heard. They just finished talking about that. That's what she was going to do. This has got to be her work behind the scenes. Also, Karen Travis writing, she straight up calls this a war on terrorism. In case we forgot the time that these books were written and what was happening in the real world around us, which I definitely, reading it at age 19, never picked up on that subtext. Like, how brain dead. No. <laughs> how blind. How blind. Yeah, no, I didn't either. But she straight up calls it a war on terrorism. And uh, such were the times at the release of this book. But chapter 17 really starts at the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. We get a timestamp here. 22, 15 hours. So, quarter uh, after 10 for at night. Quarter after 10? Yep. Okay, good. I was just going to ask. <laughs> Jason is trying to sneak into the Jedi Council Chambers after dark. Why? Why? To time travel, of course. Why not? Why, why, what else would he be there for? To, to uh, give confession to Jedi Masters about his sins? To talk over his concerns with other people? No. He wants to time travel. He says, this is what he says he has to do in order to pull this off. He has to use three different force powers at the same time. He has to make himself visually invisible, a trick that he learned from the Fallen Assi, whoever that is, whatever that means. Some kind of cool Star Wars lore that I can't remember right now. He also has to make himself invisible in the Force so that none of the other Jedi in the temple can feel his presence there. And then he also has to flow walk back in time to watch Papa Vader. No big deal. No big deal. Remember in the last book when Mara was pulling off those three techniques at the same time? And walked into a wall. And walked into a wall. And all she was doing was like regulating her own body. Well, this guy is going above and beyond and then traveling through time. He does admit that it's a massive force effort, though. Massive. Yeah. Which, everything else that he does is pretty effortless. Yeah. So you're right. That is a pretty telling admission, actually, that he talks about how difficult it is. He goes back in time just listening to the old Jedi Council at first. They're dithering and disagreeing on how young Anakin should be trained. You might have seen it. Maybe you've seen it in episode one. 
it's the exact conversation. They're talking about, should he be trained? He's too old. And if he's really the chosen one, then he'll find his own way anyways. And what the fuck are you guys talking about? You jerks. Take care of your special Jesus child. Teach him how to magic Jesus better. Maybe we wouldn't be in this problem in the first place. Yeah. Jason then moves forward in time to young man Anakin, otherwise known as Mannequin Skywalker. <laughs> being told he's on the council, but not a master. You may have seen this in episode three. You may have seen it. Anakin is mad. Jason sees this and he takes pity on his grandfather. Poor grandfather. Gifted, exceptional, dismissed, barely tolerated, largely untrained, abandoned. No wonder he resorted to crazed, desperate violence. Had he received the training that Jason had, if he had been able to perfect his powers and experience all uses of the Force, even those the Jedi Academy shied away from teaching, then the galaxy might have been a different place. I'm the second chance. Woo! I got so, goose. I got goosebumps there. So Jason's kind of saying here, because you've been calling uh, Anakin the Force Jesus. Yes, the, the second coming of Jesus. Is that what he said? That is literally what he is saying. <laughs> I am the second coming of Christ. I am your Force Jesus. I am here to save the galaxy. And he's more sure of it now than ever, seeing his angry grandfather and being like, "I'm not angry. Yeah. Everything's fine." But here's another thing that nails home, hammers home, that Jason Solo has no reverence for the decisions of the Jedi Council. In fact, he is not having it at all. He thinks that they totally bumbled and fumbled the handling of Anakin Skywalker. They think He thinks that the Jedi Council of old blew it. He doesn't have much respect for the Jedi Council of now either. I kind of think that they blew it too. They totally blew it, <laughs> like, idiots. They really did. Mace Windu, like my God, I love Samuel L. Jackson. Of course we all do, but that character is such a, such a, a spoke in the wheel, flipped the whole fucking cart right over and ruined everything, man. Yeah. When, I, when a few people are like, yeah, maybe we'll train him. And he's like, no, we're not doing that. Uh, these are the orders, strictures and uh, uh. you're like, yeah. hey, listen, I love your purple lightsaber, but go Sit on it and turn it on right now, because I don't want to listen to you yeah, anymore. Yeah, he, he was a master of the old... Definitely, he was the old guy master, yeah. following the rules. Yeah. Jason thinks he's the second chance. The second chance for what? Well, the second chance for the Force to correct itself in the galaxy. Yeah. The second chance, that's what Anakin was supposed to be, right? He was the chosen one who was supposed to bring balance to the Force. So now, two generations later, we arrive at Jason Solo. He thinks history is repeating itself because Anakin didn't fulfill his destiny. Like, I, th I was thinking about it like this, like kind of like, like that idea that like time, and in this case, destiny too, but like time is like a river. Mm -hmm. No matter what may get in the path of it, it's always going to correct itself and reach the sea yeah. at one point or another. It's kind of this, this is what he's talking about. This destiny of the chosen one bringing balance to the force and to the galaxy is repeating itself because Mace Windu and the Jedi Council threw a big fat boulder right in front of Anakin Skywalker as he's flowing down the river of change. They done gummed it all up. It blew the whole thing. So here we go again. He thinks it's me. He knows now he has to be a master. But hey, he, he rationalizes himself only to achieve my goals. He's like, being a master means nothing to me. Yeah, because he already says, okay. I'm more powerful than all of them. He's like, I don't even need to be a master if I didn't want to, but I need to do it to accomplish my goals. Okay, that's all. That's the only reason I'm going to want to be a master. Yeah, sure thing, buddy. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not for my own uh, ego at all. Yeah. Uh, I like that here he's still, he's still talking about Luke and how Luke is still more powerful than him, yeah. but he's getting closer. Every day. And on the way out, he gets spotted by a janitor. So what do you do? Mind wipe him. Grace's memory. A little mind rub. Cut to Done. Slave 1 on Coronet City, Corellia. 
Han and Boba are so similar that Han is now wearing some of Boba Fett's backup armor and helmet just to cap the whole thing off. They even dress alike now. Jeez, BFF must? Like, <laughs> are you guys best friends or what? He's trying to get comfortable in the armor because their plan is to meet with Thrak and Sal Solo and pretend that they're going to take the center point contract and then, surprise, murder him. <laughs> Truly thinking like Boba Fett, isn't he? Just like you wanted to. Now he's even got Boba Fett on his team. Boba Fett notices that Myrta is pretty shook that Aelin is captured. He thinks there must be a big price on that necklace. Yeah, must be. You're not at all emotionally tone deaf. Must be a big price on the necklace. Uh, cut to the ocean in the Karelian exclusion zone. Blockade day six. Jason is back at the Alliance fleet. And a group of ships seem ready to test the blockade. Jason is ordered to launch Rogue Squadron again. He, Jaina, and Zek head out with orders only to fire if threatened. The Jedi squad get into a game of chicken with a civilian ship. Jason avoids a collision at the last moment with the civilian vessel. And as they pass each other, the freighter opens fire on him. Jaina takes out its weapons immediately. Bing, bang, boom. She's fast. She a Jedi reflex. And as the ship is turning away, limping away, Jason orders her to destroy it. She refuses his order. And Jason does it for her. So who was right here? Can you just let it get away? Can you let them run away after shooting at you? I'm, absolutely. It's full of civilians. Just because maybe one guy was a little trigger happy. Right? You're playing chicken with a Jedi, which means you, you're. that's the last, last, last second that he turned away. And and remember that these people... The like, regular people. They're not The Jedis. regular people. They just... They might not even be Carillions themselves. They just right. want to go home. Right. Well, what they're doing is they're trying to get to the orbiters, but either way... They open fire, man. I'm with Jason. In, in a war, like the, in this war or this standoff, it's the same thing. You can't back down from telling them to disarm. You can't let them shoot at you either. I mean, the the flip side of the argument is like, don't you want to be so big and powerful that you don't have to swat at the mosquitoes? Yeah. Right type of idea. But at the same time. If you don't take care of a couple of mosquitoes, then all of a sudden it becomes a swarm. And and I, I understand that. Like, that's Jason's perspective, I think, yeah. is like, if we don't send a message back, this is going to only escalate more and become more of a problem. Where his whole thing is intervention and jumping in and making the decision, the, the tough decision when nobody else wants to, yeah. to stop anything else getting worse. And I understand his point of view if it was a military vessel. Yeah. Like, okay, they shot at you. It's a military vessel. Yeah. Okay. It's a civilian vessel. Yeah, I'm so not so happy with it. You're with? I'm with, in this situation, I'm with Jaina. I'm with Jason. So shout out to Karen Travis for some excellent writing. <laughs> yes. Because you put us right down the middle in a nice gray area there where you're right. It's not a military vessel, but it is a military engagement and they do have their their orders. Yeah. And... I think Jaina is also right to not shoot the thing, but I think Jason also is right. Another one of those situations where there is no right answer. They both have major cons attached yep. to them. When they get back, because the commander comes in and says, Rogue Squadron, get out of there. We're opening fire. Um, Jason reports Jaina for refusing an order. And yeah. It has her suspended. Yeah. She's going to yeah. be facing a court martial. Yes, she is. And I actually, in this situation, she did refuse an order. Like, they're both colonels. Yep. But, but he's, he's her commanding officer, yeah. and that was a direct order. And she said it. Like, she stated it in military terms. Like, I am refusing to carry out that order, sir, or whatever the hell she said yeah. type of thing, right? Yeah. he's yeah. told They're totally all within the rules. But that's the same thing. Where he's now... He applies the strict rules of behavior to his own family as well. Yeah. Where he's like, this is going to hurt me to hurt my sister, but I can't treat her any differently than I treat anybody else. Yeah. And with, I find that compelling and, as hell. 
Travis again with this writing. I agree with Jane on the decision. Let's call her Karen. Oh, Karen. <laughs> yes. Karen. I agree with her. Uh, or I agree with Jaina on the decision, yeah. but with Jason on the consequences. I know. I'm right? on both sides. That's it. And it would be easy to be, I'm on the opposite end of both sides, where like I come out on agreeing with Jason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's good. That's good. Cut Love to it. the president's office on Coronet. Han, Myrta, and Fett are meeting with Thraken. They do a little chit-chatting before... Han jumps across the desk and starts choking his cousin to death with his bare hands. Until, between strangling gulps of air, Thraken tells Han that Aelin Habur was just a decoy. Thraken sold her out himself just as a distraction to Han. So he wouldn't see all of the other bounty hunters coming. He says, you'll never sleep again. Fatal flaw here, though. Not knowing that Aelin Habur is Boba Fett's daughter. So Boba Fett doesn't take too kindly to that. And after revealing that he used Aelin, also Myrta doesn't take very kindly to that. She's the first one with her gun out, and she jumps across the desk herself and shoots him three times in the head. Then Fett shoots him twice in the body. Then finally Han shoots him once before they start running. What a crazy altercation. Like, yeah, I love that. The idea of like, this is just going to be a meeting. We're just here to talk about center point. That's what Thraken thinks. And then boy, do things ever escalate. Things go sideways quick. And I also really like if you were getting close to information on Merit Gev here, but if you start reading between the lines here at what Boba Fett is getting upset about and what she's getting upset about, they're upset about the same thing. It's the, the parallels are it's it's well written foreshadowing as is all like it's not anything explicit it's just in her behavior and if you're paying attention you'll see why shortly chapter 18 <laughs> has its own little intro insert excerpt blurbity blarbity blah 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 and i'm going to read it for you cuz it is another good one the Galactic Alliance is in turmoil this morning as more planets withdraw representatives from the Senate in protest at fighting in the Corellian blockade. At Zeri's ambassador to the Alliance described the destruction of one of its freighters as an act of war. Chief of State Calamas told HNE earlier that the exclusion zone would remain in place until Corellia disarmed and that the Atzeri vessel had opened fire after repeated warnings. There has been no response from Corellia's president, Thraken Salsola. <laughs> HNE morning bulletin. So this, what I got, the insight I gather from this is the percussion, the repercussions of Jason's actions aren't just between Corellia and the GA because it wasn't a Corellian ship that he shot down. It was some other planet called Atzeri. Yeah. They were just trying to leave. So now you're starting to see the Senate fracture and splinter more and more and more. And if we remember anything from the movies, the more fractured and disjointed your government is, the easier it is for somebody with their own plan and intentions and agenda to grow up through those cracks really quickly and take control of everything when everything is in a disjointed mess. Yep. Also, Nobody knows that Thraken's dead yet. No, he was unable to be reached for response. That's <laughs> But chapter 18 really starts in Lumaya's apartment on Coruscant. Jason arriving rattled from a dream where he's looking at his hands crying, holding his lightsaber. <laughs> I'm sure it's nothing, bud. <laughs> Don't even worry about it. Don't even worry about it. Lumaya explains more about her history. I don't remember if she said this before or not, but I'm going to read this again. She tells Jason, Your grandfather found me drifting in my starfighter after Luke Skywalker had fired on it and left me for dead. Vader saved me. So my life is inextricably linked with your family. Did you know that? You see that as destiny. Inevitability. Which is why you should stop feeling guilty about your sister. 
Lumaya just thinks Jason's feeling guilty about court-martialing his sister and 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 uh, handing a punishment out to her. But I think he's debating whether or not his dreams are visions. And then Lumaya straight up tells him, watch your dreams. They may be visions. Yeah. I'm sure this one isn't, though. I'm sure this one's not at all. The two of them sort of rehash the same conversation they've had again and again and again. Point number one. Don't worry about becoming a Sith because you won't be like your grandfather. Your grandfather was used. He wasn't a grown man like you. He wasn't smart like you. Blah, 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 blah. You're the man for the job. Stop doubting yourself. Stop feeling guilty. She tells him, I'm not sure what you need to do next, but all I can tell you is to solve the problem that's troubling you most. And Jason says, Ben is wavering now that he... Watch me kill a lady. Weird how that happens. Right? Yeah. Weird. Uh, did I mention she was handcuffed? Uh, whoops. I wonder if that would have been different. If Ben would feel different if he had killed her without using the force. Like if he was. Yeah, I don't he know. Used like the physically force. Physically grabbed her by the head and smashed her off the table. If that would have even if that been would have different made a too. Different. I don't know. I don't think so. Because Jason. Because I think like what Ben is doing is like reflecting those Jedi ideals there. And we're actually going to see that again coming up shortly, but where like, you don't, you don't hurt unarmed people. Yeah. Once somebody is unarmed and you have them captured, the fight is over and you stop hurting them. You know, you don't uh, get to do whatever the hell you think you need to do to get questions or answers out of them because you know, ethics and such that part of the Jedi is, uh, is I think being reflected in Ben in that situation where now Jason's worried that he's starting to lose him. Lumaya's advice is to put Ben in a position to witness the truth of necessary evil. Jason knows just the secret police force to test him with. Wouldn't you know? Yeah. Cut to Coronet Corellia. Han, Fett, and Myrta are escaping via underground tunnels. A few run-ins with some guards, a well-placed missile, a couple of blaster shots later, and they're above ground hiding in some bushes in a park. All together, calling Leia for a pickup. Weird. Not There's not a whole lot that happens in here. They're just no. escaping through like the underground complex of, of Thraken's office. But there's one thing I did notice is that they don't, stop and kill the guards that are chasing them they no. run and they run and they run and until they feel like they can't even run anymore and then they keep running he launches a missile at the wall or at the ceiling or whatever and collapses part of the tunnel but at no point does boba fett or mir to these two bounty hunters at no point do they stop and just take out the guards because for them they don't kill people unless they're paid to yeah, um, necessity and for Fed being paid. And like, and the whole thing for him was like, I want to get Thraken alone because I don't like collateral damage. But you're a serial killer, though. Yeah, you are. <laughs> but just you know, with a strong code of ethics. Yeah, he's a very honorable hitman. He is. I guess it's so weird. It's just it makes sense, but at the same time, like. The lines we all draw, you know, in the sand are all strange and different. Yeah. The line only makes sense from your side when you're looking at it from your own perspective. But other, like, other than recently in in this book um, with Boba Fett, he is, of everybody, like how the Jedi are supposed to be, the most emotionless. Right. He is, yeah. These are my he rules. He would have made a great I, Jedi. Yeah. Had he been Force-sensitive, you're right. Because his father taught him that that unbreakable coat of Mandalorian armor. Whoa, I didn't mean it like that. Honor. Mandalorian honor. Where there, you, there are things you do and there's things you don't do and you never cross those yeah, lines. There are rules. Yeah. And there are severe repercussions for breaking those rules. Cut to the GAG headquarter on Coruscant. Ben and Shivu are talking about Barrett Sei. His information has somehow disappeared from the GAG system. Amazing how that happens. Ben is also still reflecting on Jason killing Aelin. He thinks to himself, is this what I want to be? Because I've kind of been throwing myself fully into the corner of Jason Solo for a while. Like, probably a couple years. 
maybe a year. I don't know. And I thought he was really awesome. And then he did something I really can't like reconcile in my, in my head. (laughs) And he's, is this what I want to be? That's a tough question for a 13 year old, man. Yeah. He goes into an empty gym to lightsaber train with a floating ball droid. One of those remotes. Just like his daddy on the Millennium Falcon. I like those little things. Yeah, they're pretty cool. I'm going to leave that in. Um, Ben says his mind gets so clear when when he's training that he starts to see things like a vision in his own mind. And he describes it like being able to see layers of information on top of each other that you know that you understand, but you can't quite make sense of it. And then after reading that, it reminded me of uh, earlier when Karen Travis described Jason Solo uh, a flow walking, mm-hmm. how if he felt like his boots were like melting into the ground and he was just becoming a part of the environment and like uh, in a in a in a symbiotic way, like he was part of the of the Jedi Council chamber and it was part of him and just whatever. Yeah, I had I, I got I, I got a feeling that our friend Karen. Might be familiar with her psychedelics based on these descriptions that I've read of these force powers of these experiences. I think this woman may have a little psychedelic experience. But moving on. <laughs> ben feels Jason summon him as he's training and he runs to find him. Again, yeah. he did this earlier. Yeah. He ran to go find him. And he finds him in an office where Jason wants to give more responsibility to Ben. And I thought this was really funny. Ben tried to imagine what extra responsibility he could be given. He had already gone on anti-terror operations and sabotaged weapons that could destroy whole worlds. It was hard to top that when you were 13. I thought, man, like, he gets these nice little moments of insight where you get to be, like, an innocent 13-year-old. And again, like, he's not wrong. What more responsibility could do you have in mind? What more responsibility could it be? Jason tells him, Look at this map and tell me what you feel. And Ben feels around the map and he finds a spot that feels like danger, feels threatening. And it gives him, what do you say? An itch in the back of his ears. I think you might say that later, yeah. but it, the way that he describes his spidey sense is like a an itching in his ears, which I thought was pretty neat. Um, he points a spot out and Jason tells him, you pointed exactly at the spot where we're getting reports from our intelligence and from the world brain that there's some kind of problem going on. When uh, when he finds when he finds the spot on the map, Jason touches him on the shoulder. Yeah. And before it says, um, normally that was reassuring, but right then Ben had a sudden memory of Aylin Habur. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Yeah. He puts his hand so, on on your shoulder, and all you can think of is he's gonna smash my head off this table yeah. right now. <laughs> and you know what, man? Spoiler alert, Jason only gets darker from here, and it's gruesome. But Ben is... He's killing people. We're ben, only three-quarters of the way through book two. Dude, dude he's, he he murdered Nelani, or Nelani, in the, oh, in the yeah, last book. In the first book. That was his that was his, his commitment to the Sith side. So many anyways, anyways, back to the point. Jason tells him, I know you feel that danger, but here's the trick. I'm not going to help you figure it out. I want you to figure it out on your own. He says, I trust you. Every time we see Jason from another character's perspective, like in this, this is Ben's perspective in this narrative. He always comes off as if he's being manipulative. Almost always when you get him from another person's perspective. But rarely is that the case when we're looking at things from behind Jason's eyes. Yeah. He, and maybe that's because he never thinks of himself as being manipulative. I don't know, or maybe because he's so good at rationalizing things and then we get that that insight and that inner monologue and stuff, but it seems so much more obvious when you're looking at Jason through somebody else's lens that he's trying to manipulate everybody all the time. Yeah. Well, in the um, what is chapter 11 or something like that, when um, Jason or Jaina and Luke are talking they actually comment on him being manipulating 
when he manipulated Jaina yeah. with the chess. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And that was like the first fracture in their relationship back during the Dark Nest crisis. Yeah. And we don't know much about that right now, but yeah, he that's what we we said earlier was like by even by the beginning of the first book, the dude was already walking the dark path. And that's and more evidence of it Jane is calling back to there that uh, you know, we'll have to read those books and we will get there eventually. But like you said when Jason puts his hand on Ben's shoulder, Ben's kind of He's, he's a little uh, un- unsettled. About it. Yeah. And so Jason asks him, what do you want to tell me? What do you want to ask me? And Ben asks him straight to his face. Okay. I don't understand how you could hurt that woman so badly. He said, you're not a bad person. You don't like violence. It scares me because I don't think I could ever do that. And that means we're different. And I wanted to be just like you. And now I'm not sure. Pretty Bold man coming yeah. out of a thirteen-year-old's mouth, like he is turning into it, a little man yeah, right before it, our eyes. Very, for someone that that is his idol to say that out yeah, loud for real. Whew. And what's Jason's response? You have to find out for yourself how far you're willing to go. Ben at age thirteen here, pretty sure he knows everything about himself. So whatever, he's not worried about it. <laughs> Mission engage. Jason, Ben, and Shivu are hovering in a GAG ship near a protest slash nearly riot. Largely, Coruscanti people there are protesting. Ben is surprised that, and I quote, they don't want to be protected. So again, you get the simple perspective from the 13-year-old. Yeah, you get the 13-year-old. You know, you're, are you protecting them? Or how, how good is your protection if you're doing bad things to protect people? How much... Are people willing to accept? Well, it seems like they're reaching their boiling point because here we are at almost another riot. But he says he feels big, dangerous weapons. Jason tells him it's his call if they go in or not. This is it, man. This is a moment for Ben to be a man. And for Jason, giving him this freedom to make a decision. It's his choice, he tells him. It's his choice to either escalate the violence in order to protect the greater good or to walk away and leave potential threats behind to be used against you another day. This is exactly the situation that Jason was just in up at the blockade. Do you do the unpopular thing to make more people safe? Or do you let the weapons get away and hope they don't be used? Yeah. Well, the answer is obvious. It was obvious to Jason, and it's obvious to Ben. He says go, and they do. Pow! Busting into a restaurant. Bam! What's in the freezer? Mini missile launchers. But what's upstairs? I'll tell you. The official end to Ben Skywalker's innocence. That's what. He walks up the stairs, and him and Shivu breach a door, and they find two people inside. Blasters are fired and Ben's instincts take over and his blue lightsaber carves the two attackers down. A little foreshadowing reminder earlier in the gym. We hadn't seen Ben with his lightsaber in a little while. So it was like a couple pages ago. Hey, don't forget this kid's a highly trained killer with this weapon. And he goes into instinct mode with it here when he feels threatened. When he realizes that he's the one who killed both the people... And only one of them had a weapon. Remember we were talking about that earlier? You don't kill unarmed people. He freaks. He freaks out. He starts going into shock. He's staring at his lightsaber in his hands in disbelief. Tears in his eyes. A nice parallel to Jason's dream that he just mentioned earlier. Ben has that exact moment right here. Yep. Staring at his hands in disbelief. Until Jason comes and picks him up. He makes him look at the dead bodies. He forcibly holds him to look at the dead bodies. Tells him there's work to do. And reminds him that this was his call. Laying it on pretty thick, bud. (laughs) Like, you are so evil, Jason Solo. (laughs) 
You're so evil to your cousin. But I guess it's because he wants him as his apprentice. As the mission withdraws on the black GAG ship, Jason tells Ben that he did a good job. So, a few moments after rubbing it in his face that this is all his choice and your decision and get up and there's work to do and blah, 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 yep. turns around and tells him he did a good job. But Ben doesn't care. He only asks Jason to teach him to hide himself in the force. He wants to be able to hide his force presence from his dad. And again, Ben says he knows he will never be the same. That's like the third time in this book that this kid has said that. That's the third time in like six chapters. (laughs) He is having a rough stretch here, man. He is becoming a man in the middle of a war at age 13. And there's no way that's good. No. Or easy. No, no, I can't imagine that that it would be easy in any way, but it's, again, it's Jason wanting an apprentice, a true Sith apprentice, and pushing him to the next limit every time. But at the same time, too, uh, like, Lumaya's plan was show him he has to witness himself how hard it is to make that choice or how hard it is to gather all the information before you need to make that choice. Yeah. Where sometimes you don't get a hundred percent on your, on your test. Sometimes you get 90, sometimes you get 60. Sometimes you get 50, one and one, <laughs> and like, one armed one, one not. But at the same time, Jason says too, like it, it could be weeks before we know if that other person was a threat or not, but that doesn't matter because in the moment they were Yeah. in the moment they were, and they are, I mean, Sure, it only turns out one of them had a blaster, but Jason's and, like, hey, this whole place is full of missiles and, and little rocket launchers, man. And in in Ben's on Ben's side, too, this guy wasn't exactly tied up like Aelin was. Yeah, that's <laughs> that, that's a little working in his favor. A little point right? on his side, but I I actually go with Jason on this one because the guy was armed. You have to. And just because the other guy wasn't didn't have a gun on him at the time. Exactly. The, that's the whole point is like, again, there is no right decision. Either you bust in that room and you kill the people who are threats or you let them get away to fight another day. You know? The options are slim. Yeah. Chapter 19. We get another intro, insert, excerpt, blurberty, blarberty. What is he playing at? Either he's running the guard or he isn't. I know he gets results, but he has to make up his mind about whether he's a fighter pilot or a special forces colonel. I don't know if he just likes playing with X-Wings or if he's trying to score points with the admirals. Maybe both. Captain Gurdon, in a message to his wife on the subject of Colonel Jason Solo. So what do we see here? We see the GAG, the higher-ups in the GAG are starting to question Jason Solo. But not his decisions, but where his loyalties are. Yeah. And Jason's trying to make friends wherever he can. As many. Yeah. <laughs> he wants all the loyalty he can uh, muster. So he's going to do both. He. I, 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 just have, I have one thing to say to Captain Gurdon. I have to say this, okay? How dare you... Doubt the multi-elite talent that is my favorite Jedi of all time, Jason MFing Solo. Don't. <laughs> Don't. Don't you dare doubt him. <laughs> Chapter 19 really starts on the third fleet base on Coruscant. Uh-oh. Luke had another dream. A dream of Ben sobbing, saying the price is too high. But of course, Luke is just blind hoping that this is a dream and not a vision. I think I've said it before, but I want to say it again. Like, is Luke meant to be an echo of the blindness of the old Jedi Council? Is he meant to be echoing that same indecision and that same unwillingness to see the bare truth in front of you? And that the easy, how easy it is to turn a blind eye to, to, your visions and dreams, man. Like 
pay the hell attention. Well, yeah. Is he, is he supposed to be? Is he supposed to be painted the same picture as like the old Republic Jedi, where this is what gives Jason Solo a lot of the motivation that he has to to do the bad things that he's doing? Right? Is like I'm the only one who's willing to do anything. Well, every fucking chance you get, Luke Skywalker does nothing about something that he could do something about. Yeah. Every time. Yeah, he really. He still hasn't said to Jason, "I think you're turning to the dark side." No. No. And and Jason kind of wants wants him to. You're literally to. the most powerful dude in the entire universe. I understand the person you're going to say it to is the second most powerful dude in the entire universe, but still, have a bag of balls and use them. It's ridiculous. He really does. Blind. Just blind just hope all the time. Blind hope. Like, ignoring it. The willful, willful ignorance that he that he seems to always have. He never lets it go, man. He never he never gets clued in here in these first two books that you got to stop and you got to act. He's way too complacent. He's not being proactive. This is all... This is all echoes of the old Republic Jedi. That was good word usage. I like complacent. Complacent. Anyway... He's at the third fleet base to meet with Jaina and get her side of the story of why she refused an order. She tells him the whole story and Luke thinks technically he says this technically Jason was right. Technically Jason was right. They both agree though that Jason is turning to the dark side. If all of your arguments have to be covered in excuses or explanations, it's not a good argument. No. I wish I could remember the exact phrasing of it from the earlier episodes. But that is the heart of the sentiment. But yet, he keeps saying that chapter after chapter, book after book. Luke is saying this, but doing nothing about it. He says to Jaina, Jaina says to him, he is turning to the dark side. Luke even says... It's beyond anything you or I did when we went there. When did Jaina go to the dark side? When did Luke go to the dark side? I would love to know. And what did they do when they were there? Because Jaina this whole time has seemed like she's one foot in and one foot out with her pure fury and rage that she is all the time. Not very Jedi-like. But I would love to hear about that. And after saying that even, even after saying that, this isn't concern enough to take any action. <laughs> Come on, man. He invites Jaina over for lunch. This is his big plan. Come have lunch with me and Mara. How cute. And on the way, Jaina tells Luke straight up to get Ben away from Jason. Jaina's even feeling guilty. She says, Am I wrong to think this about my own brother? Luke says, what do your senses tell you? That he's going to somehow break my heart one day. Yes, said Luke. We need to make sure that never happens. But it already has, he thought. It already has. Cut to the Solo's apartment on Coronet, Karelia. As the city around them is reacting to news of Thraken's assassination, which I always think is funny. You only apply that word to politic. You never apply that word to layman people. Somebody doesn't just get assassinated unless they are a high-ranking politician or political, or I mean public figure. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just murder. (laughs) So I'm just going to call it murder because here's what happened. Thraken Sal Solo was murdered in his office. Surprise murdered. Tricked and murdered. Yep. Our intrepid murder squad is holed up with Princess Leia. Trying to reach Jason through the Force. She can't get him on the phone. More missed calls. She reaches out to him in the Force. Myrta would like to speak with him about Aelin, please, and thanks. Oh, and her dad wants to see her. Oh, what's that? Okay, oh, okay I'll, I'll pass the message on. Yep, so bad news. Uh, she died <laughs> under interrogation. <laughs> Fett and Myrta are fucking shaken. And again, 
if you're paying attention to their reactions mirroring each other, whenever it's something negative about Aelin, the rest of this is about to make a lot of sense. Leia tells them that Aelin Habur is dead, and Myrta draws and fires on Fett. Immediately, pulls her gun and tries to shoot him, as Leia intercepts it with the Force and shoves her across the room. Who is Myrta Gev, and why is she shooting Fett? I don't know, but I like her so far. I'm lying. I know. I totally know. Don't worry. We'll get there. Chapter 20. Has another, imagine this, intro, insert, excerpt, bugaloo, triple, flippity-dipple, and I'm going to read it for you. Investigations are continuing into the assassination, a.k.a. murder, of President Sal Solo, but we have reason to believe that this outrage was the work of Alliance agents. This will not weaken our resolve to maintain Karelia's independent military deterrent. Following an agreement among all parties, Karelia will now be governed by a coalition of the Democratic Alliance and the Karelian Liberal Front, which represent the largest block of representatives with an advisory role for the Centerpoint Party. Statement from the new Coalition Administration of Karelia. And here's what I pull out of this. Karelia is announcing they have a coalition government. They have essentially a council. They have a team of governments now. They don't have a president. It's a group of people making their decisions. They're also using this opportunity not to be wasted the murder of their president to paint it as a false flag attack. Yeah. They're blaming it on the GA to get more people to rally behind them. And uh, politically it's genius. Morally it's disgusting. It's terrible. Especially when the man delivering the message on behalf of the coalition is no doubt Dirk Edgen, And he knows exactly what happened because he paid for it. Yes, he did. But chapter 20 picks up in the room. With Leia and Team Kill the President. Myrta says she was bringing Fett to Aelin. So Aelin could finally kill him. That was the bounty. All this time it was not the necklace. It was Boba Fett that she was supposed to be delivering. And she says, if she can't kill him, I will. Because she was my mother and I promised her he would die. That's right. We finally gotten there. I finally come out and say it. I remembered it ever since the very beginning. As soon as she showed up, uh, Boba Fett is Mertigev's grandfather. Oh, Grandpa Fett. Grandpa Fett. He takes off his armor and helmet and tells Merta and tells Merta to kill him. Han sees Boba Fett's face. For the first time. He was gray and scarred and hard. It was the first time Han had ever seen his enemy's face. It was far less than he had imagined. And all the more shocking for that. It was a face that was as unfeeling as a slab of rock. They said your life was etched in your face over time. And Fett's life must have been utterly cold, brutal, and alone. This is an epic moment for this book to claim the very first time that Han Solo sees Boba Fett's actual face. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, maybe not that amazing because if Han had ever seen like a picture of an old clone trooper, he probably, probably could have guessed pretty close to what Boba Fett looked like. (laughs) You ever seen a picture of a clone trooper, but nonetheless, pretty cool. Very cool moment. Leia pulls Han aside after Mertigev sits down without murdering her grandfather. Enough murder for today, I guess she decided. To tell Han the secret. There's a little secret attached to this. Turns out Jason was the one who killed her when he was interrogating her. Are you tired of willful ignorance? Because get ready for some more. Han Solo refuses to believe his son could be becoming a monster like this. That would mean you're losing another kid. And that's too hard to It had to be an accident. Of course. Cut to the Chief of State's office on Coruscant. Omas, Kassil, Luke, and Jason are meeting now about the fallout from Thraken's assassination, a.k.a. 
Muck Duck. That's a little joke for the Office fans, a.k.a. murder. They plan to offer the new Karelian coalition government a way out peacefully. Omas says, barring that, it will have to be war. There are no good options. We can't back down from disarmament. We can't do nothing. Yep. Our hand is forced. And their hand has been forced from the very beginning by Lumaya. Yep. With Admiral Klauskin. Even before that, who knows? Luke, of course, protests against going to war. But when he's asked what better alternatives he has, he has none to offer. And Jason looks at him and sees weakness. Too weak to do the difficult thing. Too weak to do the unpopular thing. He wants to keep his hands clean. He wants to keep his conscience clean. He doesn't want to be the one who says we have to go to war. Jason is strong enough to carry that burden of being hated for bringing order to the galaxy. He's the second chance. That's all for this week. Next week, we're going to cover chapters 21, 22, and 23 to wrap up book two of Legacy of the Force, Bloodlines. I'm Justin. And I'm Tim. And we outie. See ya. Happy second chance. For any comments and questions, you can hit us up at forevercanonpodcast at gmail.com. Forever Canon Podcast is a Jay Plazer production. Catch us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube at Jay Plazer. Check us out.